I told Sam and Tilly, said if they want to eat lunch today, they're going to have to listen on the radio, and I was going to quiz them when I got home. So they're probably not going to get to eat lunch because I, I don't imagine they're listening right now. So um, This is the part, Sam and Tilly, if you are listening, that you will be allowed to get your, uh, your lunch on. Bluefish is the code word, Sam. Bluefish is the code word. All right. So I will ask him the code word for lunch. And if he doesn't have it, he's not eating. He's going to look hungry next time you see him, I imagine. All right. So uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead, open it up to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 7. And as you're flipping there, I want to give you a little bit of the context of what has taken place and what we looked at last Sunday evening. Um, So last Sunday, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, was lost in battle. It has been gone. And then we looked at what happened when the Ark of God was put into the same room with a statue of a false god, with Dagon, right? And Dagon was like this half-fish kind of looking idol. And Dagon falls over and gets busted. And they are worried that the ark of God did it. And the next night falls over again and breaks even more. And then the people say, okay, we don't, we don't want this thing here. Because then the people started getting boils and they started getting tumors and that kind of stuff. So they send it on to another city. Four different places that the, the ark of the covenant goes to before the Philistines finally say, okay, we are done with this thing. We are going to put it on a cart. We're going to send it back to the Israelites, and we're going to give an offering. And the offering that we're going to give are we're going to create these little golden tumors. I don't know what a golden tumor looks like. It might be like a little bubble of gold is what I would imagine. And golden rats. And we're going to stick the things that have been plaguing our people and causing sickness with us since we've had the Ark of the Covenant when we stole it from them. We're going to send them back that with the offerings, and we're going to be done with this thing. So they do that. Uh, the Philistines at this point were a thorn in the side to the Israelites. So that's what takes place. Uh, they get the Ark of the Covenant back, and it kind of stays in an area for a while. Um, didn't go back to... Um, the house of God, it went to another guy's house that was a Levite. His name was Abinadab. So that's what was, or Eleazar is where it was. Um, uh, so we are going to pick up 7 verse 2. The Bible says, So it was that the ark remained in Kerjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths, and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, 
Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day, and they said, We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. So have you ever been off track and you need to get back on track? You ever been in that situation kind of spiritually? Have you ever been in a situation, maybe it's not that at all, maybe you've never been on track, you've never been moving in the right direction, and you realize, hey, I need to be moving in the right direction. That's kind of what we're looking at today. We're looking at the Israelites, they had, they had a heart that wasn't necessarily toward God. They were led astray. Last week we, we looked at Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and we saw how the people, the leadership, led the people astray. And the people had been led astray, not necessarily by fault of their own, but they were guilty in some of it. And now they've got to get back on track and serve the one true God. It was time for them to realize that the Lord's presence is back with us. It's time for us to take him seriously. And in the process, start moving in the direction that he wants us to move. You might be at that point in that juncture in your own life. You might be at that where you feel like, you know, everything's been okay and it was moving forward and then I've kind of stalled out. Because stalling out isn't something that we enjoy doing, right? This was kind of in our Sunday school lesson today where as you're driving and you're getting ready to merge onto a road or you're getting ready to, to go into an intersection, the vehicle stalls. And you're there and you're in the way and you're causing chaos on the roadway or, you know, you get people beeping at you and yelling at you and making these ugly faces at you. And you're just like, oh, let me crank up my car. It's embarrassing. You feel flustered. You're like, oh, I got to hurry up. The people of Israel had stalled in their faith with God and they realized they needed to get back on the right track. Samuel was finally a godly leader that they had in front of them that was willing to lead them to godly places. And they were willing to follow that leadership now. We're going to look at a few things this morning to get back on the right track. So if, if you're looking at your life right now and there's an area where you need to get back on track or maybe you're not on track and you want to, this is for you. The first thing that, that we see is repentance and confession. And that's, that's some of the passage that I just read to you. The first thing is that the nation of Israel lamented. What, what's it mean to lament? It means to be brokenhearted, to weep for something. And these people were lamenting for the relationship that they once had with God. They were lamenting for that relationship that their fathers and their grandfathers had with the Lord. They wanted that closeness back that they saw in others at one point in their life. And they were thinking, man, if we could only have that. 
I remember when God's glory and his Shekinah glory used to fill the, the tabernacle of meeting. And they might remember that as a kid, or maybe they heard about it from their parents or grandparents. But they desired that. And it starts with that desire and that lamenting and that longing for. And maybe you're at a place in your life right now where you're just thinking, I remember what it was like before. I remember what it was like when everything made sense in life. Before the illnesses, before the deaths, before the financial problems, before in, in whatever, whatever has been facing you in life. I remember what it was like, and I want to go back to those days. Well, here's the thing. God has prepared something for you that can be better than those days but it's going to require you to move forward with them. Right here we see the people have that longing, and that longing leads them to Samuel, who then tells them, return with all your heart. Have you ever done something with all your heart? A lot of times I think we think we do, but... We're a pretty half-hearted nation a lot of times. A lot of times we're half-hearted in a lot of the things we do. We act like we want to be all in. And we act like we want to be wholehearted with something. With all of our hearts, with all of our passion, with all of our desire. We're going to pursue something and we're not going to let up. And we are going to be resilient no matter what obstacles come up. But I mean, if we're honest, we, we kind of go at it that way for a little bit. And when it seems too tough, we forget about how badly we wanted it, didn't we? And we go back to something that's more comfortable. We go back to something that's easier. We go back to something that's less of a challenge. We go back to whatever brings us comfort. And we act like we still want it in our mind, but deep down inside, there is no desire no drive, no pursuit. Samuel says, people, return with all of your heart. Put away your idols. As you are doing something wholeheartedly, it's easy to put away the things that are a distraction to you. It's easy to put away the things that don't matter. It's easy to put away the things that you don't need to major in, isn't it? You become singular-minded. You become focused. And anything that is not of the goal and the objective, you put behind you. There are areas in our lives where we're good at that. We're not always good when it comes to Jesus first in our life. We're not always wonderful when it comes to putting his word first or the Bible first. Well, that is his word. Or the Lord first. We need to. When we do, we have that focus and we put away the idols, the things that don't matter. I remember, uh, well, part of my testimony. I was so following football at one point 
with everything that I was. I moved across the country for the sake of football, to coach football, to be a part of it, and to do all that kind of stuff. I left a good job to, to go become a coach in Louisiana, moved from Massachusetts in middle management and healthcare, and then came down here to be a teacher in a parish that didn't pay real well with the opportunity to drive a bus and to make a little extra money on the side. I was willing to be focused and driven to pursue a goal. But it became an idol. And I realized that because when I got saved, as time went on, football became less and less important to me. And now I can tell you I coach and I coach sports and I love sports in a sense but I don't even care about him in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. I would so much rather give up all sports in general and not do a single thing with them ever again if it means I have the opportunity to continue preaching God's word to people that need it. Because in the big picture, I realize it doesn't matter, and I can now put it behind me and not let it have charge over my life. Because in the big picture, that doesn't matter. Can we put away our idols? And then if we are able to put away our idols because we are pursuing it wholeheartedly, you know what comes next? Preparing our hearts for them. For you to prepare your heart is the other side of putting away the idols. Putting away the things that don't matter now make it easier for you to prepare your heart for what does matter. And when you prepare your heart for what does matter, amazing things start to happen. You now realize that everything in your life that you considered valuable before really aren't. You can now have what Christ wants in your life by preparing your heart. Most people understand that you get prepared this last week. You get prepared to go outside, right? Most of the time, 42 degree weather, you're going to grab a jacket maybe, head out the door. What about when it's 18 degrees and you got to go outside? You realize there's a different level of preparation that's involved. That preparation may mean an extra pair of socks. It may mean putting on the, the thermals or whatever. It may mean an extra layer up top. It may mean making sure the battery on your heated vest is ready to go so it doesn't die five minutes into turning it on. Amen? Right? Sorry. Speak from experience. That kind of stuff goes into preparation. Now, you will prepare for that. Do you prepare to spend time with God? Do you prepare your hearts to come to church on a Sunday morning? Do you prepare your hearts to come to church 
on a Sunday evening? Or is it just something that you do? We're just going to crank up the car and go. Because if you put the time in to make sure that your heart is prepared, you will be ready to be filled with what he has in store for you. Rather than just showing up, going through the motions, parking in the parking lot, which door am I going to walk through? Let's walk through that door. I hope not too many people say hi to me because uh, this, that, and the other, and blah, 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 blah. And we walk through, and you sit down, and you go through the motions, and your heart was never prepared. Do you spend time worshiping God on a Sunday morning while you're putting your makeup on? Do you, Guthrie? <laughs> Do you, do, you, do you worship God the Father as you're ironing your pants or as you're getting breakfast ready or as you're thinking about what's the temperature going to be? Do I need to crank the car early? Are you preparing your heart thinking about, I wonder what Tony's preaching on today. I need to pray for him so that the message is going to be powerful and it won't fall on deaf ears. Are you doing that? Or is it just a game of trying to get from one place to another and then get here, go through the motions so you can go? Beat everybody else to the Mexican restaurant. I pray that it's not. Samuel says, prepare your hearts. And after that, I want to tell you, deliverance comes. Because we saw that in the text. The deliverance comes. In verse 4, the people obey Samuel, they put everything else away, and then he prays. When they get serious, that man of God goes before God and intercedes on behalf of the people. You want to get right with God? It starts with that repentance and confession. And the people, in verse 5, they have that confession. Look at verse 5, it says, and Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, I will pray for you. So they gathered and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord and they fasted that day. And they said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Confession is there with repentance. So what does repentance mean? It means I realize I'm heading in the wrong direction. I'm going to make the U-turn and go back the way I came because I need to get back on the right path. That comes with confession. The Bible shows us that confession is a gift to God. He's, his spirit has triggered it in you for you to realize, hey, I've been in the wrong direction What's the matter? I'm going to turn and here's what's wrong within my life. And I confess that. Confess that to the Lord. Maybe I confess it to others. But when that happens, I now have a clean slate to work with. I'm now emptied of guilt. I'm emptied of problems. And I can move forward, not carrying around the baggage that I threw in the back seat. Now, we're going to look at verses 7 through 9. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. 
And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. That right there, the people had their prayer for deliverance. I want you to understand, when you're finally empty, when the soul is purified, when the repentance has taken place and the confession has been made, you're now ready for that prayer of deliverance. You now go before God the Father and you call out to Him. And you have that time with Him. And you, you ask Him, Lord, thank you for making a way for me. Thank you for allowing me to be put on the right path. Thank you for having me go the distance with you. And I'm ready to go even further. That being said, we will have a more powerful relationship with him when that prayer for deliverance goes up. That prayer for deliverance will lead you back into his pathway of righteousness. He will establish your steps and make them firm. All this has taken place in the story while the enemy was preparing to attack, which just shows God's providence throughout the whole thing. We have God in control, the people coming and repenting and confessing while the enemy was on the other side of those mountains, I guess you could say, getting their armies together, preparing to attack. The people of Israel hear that they are ready to attack while they were being led in repentance, led in confession. And now it comes to this culmination where the enemy is ready to come and invade. The Israelites hear about it. And God, just as he always does, delivers. Verse 10 through 13. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering of the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. There was a divine intervention. So we have repentance and confession, the prayer for deliverance and divine intervention. Have you seen God divinely intervene on your behalf? Have you ever seen that? Some of you all have, and others are sitting there going, well, I don't even know. It's an amazing thing when God intervenes. It's a powerful thing. And some of you have testimonies, and I encourage you, talk to each other about those testimonies when God intervened and did amazing things. But this divine intervention comes through this thundering sound. The army of the Philistines is coming to invade that has been a thorn in their side for years now. And this 
thundering sound goes out over their people, confuses them, causes them into disarray, and then the Israelites pursue them. They charge them, and they have victory. And that victory is going to last for 20-plus years, all the days of Samuel, up until, you know what story? David and Goliath, that's right. We're going to see victory. We're going to see them on the back burner. The Philistines are not an issue. Why? Because the people realized that they were on the wrong path and they needed to do something about it. And God called them to repent. They repented and they confessed their sin. And God started leading them as he delivered them. He delivers them miraculously here and leads them into his righteousness and into his goodness. And this divine intervention took place. God started it. I want you to look at that in those passages. God started it with that thundering sound, and they finish it. When God opens a door in your life, go through it. Go through it. These people had the option. They could have. They could have hung by. They could have laid low. They could have let God do the thunder thing and there would have been confusion. But they followed through. When God opens doors, action is required. You need to walk through them. When he provides a way, you need to step forward. Don't misunderstand that God is going to pave the pathway before you each and every step of the way. He'll make the promises to you and he will see them through. But you've got to bring the action in so many instances. I think about Abraham and Sarah, childless. And the angel of the Lord shows up. And he tells them, you are going to have a child. And he's telling Abraham that, and Sarah's in the tent. And what does Sarah do? She's in the tent, and she, <laughs> she laughs because she doesn't believe. And the angel said, oh, no, why'd you laugh? No, uh -uh, why'd you laugh? God promised them that they would have a child, but there also had to be action that went along with it on Abraham's part and Sarah's part. Don't forget that in life. God will make a way for you. He will prepare deliverance for you. When the door is open, you need to walk through it. Don't expect him to do it all. And then the last thing is this Ebenezer, this stone of help. I remember it wasn't too long ago. I think it was the kids were sitting over here and we were singing one of the songs and, and I raise my Ebenezer. And one of them was like, what's an Ebenezer? Ebenezer Scrooge. That's what we remember. But this Ebenezer was this rock that Samuel put there, this special stone of remembrance. It was a memorial of sorts to remember where their help comes from. That the Israelites were helped by God and that this rock is a reminder that he was the one that helps us. 
And it was where this rock was that God intervened, and he intervened miraculously, and he saved our people from the invading Philistines that had been a thorn in our sides when we got right with the Lord. That Ebenezer, that rock of help, is what I like to think of as Christ and what he did for us. Because Jesus is our rock and our redeemer. Jesus is our firm foundation. Jesus is that one that saves us. He's the one that leads us and delivers us. He's our cornerstone. He's our ever-present help. His Holy Spirit is our helper. When we look at this story, it turns the tide for the next 20 years. When you look at your story, when Christ intervened, it changed the tide of your life eternally forever. Our Ebenezer, Ebenezer was that cross where Jesus became our sin, where he takes your sin upon himself, innocent and righteous and pure and holy, lacking all guile, lacking any deceit, lacking any darkness, because in him there is no darkness and there is only light. He is the very character of God. And there he was, hanging on that cross as our ever-present help, becoming the sin so that we would not have to face justice of what was due us for that sin. And what is sin? Sin is treason before God. Sin is treason against the highest king ever. And just committing one sin. And the book of James tells us that we're guilty of committing all of them. So if just one sin makes you guilty of treason, then we need a savior. And that savior came at that cross. That savior that died on that cross and then was buried. And when they buried him, they stuck him in a tomb that was borrowed. And they left him there, dead. And what did they put over that tomb? They rolled a stone in front of it. And that stone wasn't the stone of deliverance. That stone was the stone of entrapment. Because the world and Satan wanted him entrapped in death. They wanted him entrapped behind that stone that couldn't be moved, that was being protected by the most powerful soldiers of the most powerful empire in the world. And it was to stay there so he would never come out because of these rumors of resurrection. And they sealed it with their seals and it couldn't keep them there. Because on the third day, what happened? That stone of entrapment and that stone of death, that stone of man's effort was rolled away. It was rolled away and Jesus walked out of that grave. And he intervened 
for us then, giving us everlasting eternal life. That when we trust in him, that he became our sin on that cross and died for us, as us, so that we would not have to bear our own shame and our own guilt on judgment day, then we have that eternal life because his Holy Spirit was put within us and dwells within us and gives us that new life. We can go from there knowing that we will not be imprisoned in death, knowing that we will have eternal life forever and ever.